0: So Money episode eight forty five. Ask Farnoosh with special co host Lindsay Brian Potvin.
1: You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer,
0: happier life. Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Friday, February 8th. I'm really happy that it's February. This is one of my favorite months. It's my birthday month and it's Valentine's month. Not that I'm really into all of the material purchases of Mel- Valentine's Day. But I do love Valentine's candy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. And I actually learned that the uh, the Necco factory that makes all of those like Valentine um, candies that say like, you know, I love you or call me or text me or whatever, apparently like they're at a – I don't know, something happened. There was some headline about how they didn't make them enough this year or didn't make any this year or they had to recall a bunch of th- – I mean – uh, this is big news in my life because I'm a big fan of, of Valentine candy. Uh, but also February has been a really impressive month for me so far because I really pushed myself beyond my my boundaries in my professional life this month. And to be honest, for the past several months, I have been kind of keeping this behind the scenes and haven't really shared the big news here. And I'm getting to it, I promise. But uh, February has really been a pivotal moment for me. I'm uh, celebrating my last year as a 30-something, actually, starting next week. And uh, that's got me thinking and reflecting. But I'm really mostly proud of this project that I have underway launching in April. Some of you may have heard about it if you've been following me on Instagram. It's called Stacks House. And let me just plug it here for you because I've been working on this for a long time and it's finally ready for its announcement. So Stacks House is a pop-up with a purpose. A lot of us have experienced these pop-ups like Museum of Ice Cream, Museum of Pizza. Evan and I went to Candytopia a few months ago. Essentially, there are these like experiences, right? You pay 38, 40 bucks or whatever to go and go through all these different rooms with all these different themes around a central theme of like pizza or candy or color. Well, in this case, it's going to be money. Stacks House is a pop-up with a purpose centered around educating and empowering women around money. Ha. So that is the big idea it is launching in Los Angeles for an entire month in the month of April, which happens to also be Financial Literacy Month. We launch on Equal Pay Day, April 2nd. I've also learned that it is the year of the pig, so savings pig. It's All the stars are aligning is what I'm saying, and and I'm really excited to bring this to market. We're going to start in April in Los Angeles, actually in the former Museum of Ice Cream location, so that's exciting because a lot of people will already be familiar with that Destination. And we will hopefully travel the country with it this year and maybe next year. But we're hoping to get more inland to places like Minneapolis, Detroit. I see you. Lots of exciting things happening in Detroit, Austin. And really, our goal here is to meet as many women as possible, have them go through the Stax House house where you're going to learn how to save and invest and all the things, but also like have a blast because it's going to be a total Instagram playground. Tickets go on sale in March. Uh, but why we are doing this is because we want to meet as many women as possible, me and my co-founders. I'm going to learn about what your needs are and that will inform us to as to what to build next. Is it a, is it an app? Is it an index fund? Is it, gosh, I don't know. We have a lot of ideas, but we want to be certain that we're going forward with the right plan. And 2019, we're dedicating this year to sort of a listening tour, like having these pop ups as a way to get into the country and meet our women and build something for them that is really precise. So more on that to come, but you can follow us at StacksHouse.com and on Instagram at StacksHouse. We're looking for volunteers. We're looking for ticket buyers. We're looking for brand partners. We're looking for collaborators. Um, if you just want to learn about how to come with all your girlfriends, go to StacksHouse.com, email us, and we will be sure that you're the first to know about all the developments. And we'll be... Getting in touch. So that's my big news. Yay. We're going to switch gears now because, you know, this is a show about you. It's Friday. It's all about answering your questions. We have a lot of questions here from the gram, from my inbox. And we have a very special co host today. She's a listener of this show. My favorite co hosts are the listeners because it's really nice to be able to you know, connect with the audience one-on-one. But even more than just a listener, Lindsay Bryan Potvin is a practicing financial therapist, and she hails from the Midwest, currently negative 30 degrees there. I guess I can no longer complain about the cold here in New York. Um, She's definitely experiencing the worst of it. Happy to have you on our show. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. Thank you for coming, Lindsay. How are you doing over there? I am trying to stay warm.
1: I'm doing I'm seeing all my clients over video today so everyone stays in their house and stays warm.
0: Yes, good. Good. Don't leave your house. Yeah. Stay indoors. Don't be brave. First of all, thank you for coming. Really uh, appreciate you as a fan of the show. I'm honored to know that you are in the audience as someone who is so accomplished in the world of financial advice and therapy. I got to ask you though, how did you arrive at this world of money professionally? What drew you to this space? It's not everybody who grows up thinking, hey, maybe I'll uh, you know be a money therapist.
1: Yeah. I certainly didn't know this was a thing growing up. I kind of, like many people ended up here in a roundabout way. I had always had an interest in personal finance myself, but also wasn't interested in going at it from a finance route. So I just thought, oh, it's not, it's not in the cards for me. I, I can't do that. And I pursued a career in social work and in mental health and specialized in working with people with depression and anxiety And I worked in a bunch of different settings. And the thing that kept coming up as an issue that I felt like I didn't have a good response for was money issues. So as a social worker, you're kind of trained to help people with their money issues by problem solving how they can pay their bills. So helping them call their energy company and getting on a payment plan. Um, or as the therapist side of it, you're supposed to kind of sit back and say, well, well, how does that make you feel? And neither one of those really felt like enough for me. I, I felt like I was doing my clients a disservice. So I, I kind of stumbled upon the world of financial therapy via our via Google and found the Financial Therapy Associations, who I know you're familiar with, and the Financial Social Work group. And right now I am certified in financial social work and will be moving down the Financial Therapy Association certification shortly. So that is how I got here.
0: Fantastic. All right. Have to ask you, in all of your work, what has been, Lindsay, an issue that kind of stumped you. Like a client comes to you with a situation or um, for some reason you just are perplexed. Like I'm curious because we harbor a lot of us, these emotions around money. And in some cases they're very extreme. Has there ever been a situation where you have sort of felt like, I don't even know if I can help this person.
1: So if it gets to be something where I feel like I'm in over my head, the beautiful thing is I can always say, Hey, that sounds outside of my scope. Let's find somebody else who can help you out a bit more. So in my work, I do a lot of financial literacy, but if somebody is asking me a really complex question about finances,
0: I'm I'm not a certified financial professional. So I would always, um, or or even just like their emotions around it, right? I guess that's what I'm more curious about is like how do they people who are so overwhelmed, so despondent that they can't even open their bills? This is you know real people out there. I've met them.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, so you're right. That is not uncommon. One pattern that I don't know if it perplexes me, but it, it keeps surprising me every time it comes up and I don't know why it does is this this kind of This woman who is really super successful on paper is doing really well and yet has that has that knee jerk reaction to not wanting to open her bills or not wanting to look at her four oh one K. And I think Um, a lot of women are, are kind of told that money is dirty or gross or greedy. So there's still this disconnect of the last few years of people saying lean in and, you know, really work hard and, and climb that corporate ladder. But yet we don't tell people and encourage them to be excited about their raise and excited about their money and that it's not gross or bad or dirty money is a tool and it can be super empowering. Um. So that's something that comes up again and again that I I hope starts getting addressed, um, but continues to come up.
0: And if you have a question for Lindsay, check out mindmoneybalance.com. You can learn more about her. And also, I'm curious, Lindsay, how did you discover this podcast?
1: I discovered it because I'm a big podcast nerd, and I was looking for more money-related podcasts to listen to. And the opener of your show just stopped
0: me in my tracks and hooked me, and then I've just been binging ever since. All right. Yeah, I guess it was worth it to hire that uh, voiceover artist, and I did have a lot of fun with that script. Thank you for pointing it out. What else do you listen to? What else should we be listening to in the money podcast space?
1: I like death, sex, and money because then we get a little bit of everything outside of the money. Um, I really have been digging by the book podcast. It's these two women who live by self-help books, and they do some kind of money-related ones, and it's a fun way to, to participate from afar. Um, so those are the good ones. And then I also love – I think you just had her on um, – The Secrets of Wealthy Women, that has been another podcast that I've been obsessed with.
0: Yes, Veronica Dagger. And I got to check out Buy the Book. That sounds really fun, kind of living vicariously through others. All right. We have a lot of questions today, many coming from Instagram. Uh, From the website, we also have an audio question, and I hope we'll be able to get to everything. And I know that your specialty, Lindsay, is money therapy. And some of these questions, while they may sound technical, I feel as though... There is a bit of an un- an emotional underpinning <laughs> to these questions, and you know sometimes when people are grappling with uh, money, it's really about confidence. It's about um, having the willpower to see things through. Our first question is from an anonymous person on Instagram who has a question about the 401k, and the question is, what do you think about not investing in my 401k for a couple of years? So here's why. She says, my husband and I are living in the San Francisco Bay area and trying to aggressively save a $200,000 down payment for a home. Our goal is to save about 30% um, for a down payment. And we will be even moving in with my parents to help with this savings. Is this a good strategy? So, Lindsay, I guess she's looking for some permission to avoid investing or to put it aside for a minute. And, you know, San Francisco, it's no secret that housing prices there are ridiculous. There are uh, people leaving San Francisco in droves right now as a result of the cost of living. I think something like uh, 200 people are exiting San Francisco a month, um, largely due to housing costs. I'll start with my thoughts here. I think the 401k is a really special vehicle for saving for retirement. I mean, there are definitely some drawbacks in terms of sometimes the investment choices within the fund are not the best or they could be on the higher end of fees, but there are benefits such as potentially a company match. So to the extent that her company might offer a 401k match, I would say try to invest still up to that point because that's free money and then that's going to compound. And I think in the long run, you will look back and, and be thankful that you stuck with it. There's also the tax benefit to the 401k, right? So the contributions up to a point are tax deductible. And so that's a savings. So you're saving for retirement and then perhaps also saving on your tax bill which again can then help you to, to save towards this home down payment. So my advice really is to try to still keep your 401k in the picture. It may mean not being able to save as aggressively for this home down payment, but you know, dial back by however much you need. I'd say, but still stay in the 401k game. What do you think, Lindsay?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very much with you to stay in the 401k game, especially up to the point of the match. And in a situation like this, I would encourage the writer and their husband to kind of check in with why it's so important to put that much money on a down payment for a house. I mean, to the point where they're moving in with their parents. On, on the one hand, it's pretty admirable that they'll give up everything to save some money. And on the other hand, I can't imagine that it, it's super healthy for a relationship for you to move back in with parents. So just kind of checking in with why that number, why is that so important
0: and seeing if there's any wiggle room there. I like that. I think that's a really valid question. What what is it about owning your own home that's so important to you? You know, why this much money? I mean, San Francisco is expensive, so it's not like, I don't know, can they even safer less for a family of four, um, perhaps. It may mean living a little bit further away or in different parts of the area than you initially had mapped out. And we're not saying it's not an important thing. We're not saying it doesn't have value, but might want to do some exploring around what's fueling this desire to be a home buyer, especially in San Francisco where home prices are so high. And do you really know what you're in for? What are the trade-offs? And so perhaps they've already done a lot of this work, I would assume they, they have thought about these things. But I think um, never a bad exercise to kind of revisit the why behind this goal. Is it still aligned with your needs and your wants and your future plans? And if you do take on this big expense, you know, because it's not just the down payment, right? When you own a home, you also have to pay the mortgage and the taxes and the maintenance and all of that. And so what are you going to necessarily have to Trade off for this, and do you really? Do you, are you okay with that? So good luck to you, and thank you for sending in your question on Instagram. It's my favorite way to connect right now on social media. I'm not really on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter sometimes, but that's mostly where I just try to like test out my humor because you know, Lindsay, I dabbled in stand up comedy last summer. Yeah, I, I heard. <laughs> It was a lot of fun. I miss it. I haven't really been able to get back on stage in the last several months. But so Twitter has sort of become my my platform for just like my stream of consciousness slash attempts to make up jokes, which sometimes fall very flat, but I'm okay with that. Uh, so anyway, if you want a cheap laugh, go to Twitter at Farnoosh or otherwise go to Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi and send me your money questions. Are you on Instagram, Lindsay? I am. Yeah.
1: So I'm at Mind
0: Money Balance, and I am just kind of dipping my
1: toe in the social world. I'd been off social media for almost a decade, and I'm actually, when you said Facebook, it made me laugh. I'm currently banned from Facebook because they thought I was a bot because I hadn't been posting, and then when I kind of started getting back into the world, they were like, you're doing too much too fast. You must be a bot. So I am definitely on Instagram, but not on Facebook,
0: (laughs) Wow, so Facebook really knows how to identify those bots, doesn't it? Right? Yeah, I know. Oh my gosh. Don't even get me started. All right. Moving on, Miranda on the So Money website is asking, and just to remind listeners, there is a button on the So Money website, Ask Farnoosh, click on it, and a window will pop up for you to send in your question. You can also leave a voicemail there. Her question is about investing and she says, I don't have a lot of money to throw around. I'm married. I'm 30 years old. I'm a graphic designer currently trying to focus on bulking up my savings account. She's also got a student loan of about $18,000, but she's still trying to dip her toe into the investing world. So first of all, just want to give her a lot of credit for that. She has about $10,000 in an IRA where uh, it's largely comprised of index funds. Great job. But she's a little challenged. She says she can only contribute about $150 a month to this IRA. So she just wants to know how else to take advantage of investing without really being able to invest so much, wondering if she should diversify my IRA or take advantage of other investment options. Well, first I want to say this, uh Miranda, you know, I applaud you for really trying to create this sort of holistic approach to financial management given all of your Responsibilities of student loans and you know, you're um, got your bills and all that. And I would say, you know, it's very commendable carving out a little bit every month to save or rather invest in an IRA. I think that's really great. And truly, I mean, you're what you're exhibiting here is a commitment and a consistency to this habit of investing. And that's really what's most important when you're first starting out is just really just doing it regularly enough where it becomes a real part of your financial strategy. It's not an afterthought. It is a real big part or a small part of your investing strategy. Even if you don't have a lot of money in the beginning, it's just really great to to get started and get going. I, I don't really have any other advice for you other than perhaps as you, as you start to make more money, dedicate uh, that increase in salary to allocating more towards the IRA. Look within the IRA to make sure that the funds that you're selecting, and you did mention a lot of index funds are uh, low fee. like they're not carrying more than a you know 1% expense ratio. But I think Lindsay what she's really looking for here is maybe just some encouragement, right? an emotional boost.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I look at this question and I hear this question, I just hear a person who's, who's kind of trying to do it all. And, and yeah, it's amazing that she's working on paying off her debt and contributing to retirement and bulking up on their savings account. Um, so certainly kind of checking in, I, I kind of operate from the mindset of there is no one perfect way to do things. You know, there's different schools of thought that say you need to pay off all your debt or you need to have your savings account be X much. But really, I would encourage Miranda to say, like, what's going to make me feel the best? Is it going to make me feel the best to have to really put my money towards knocking out that student loan? Is it going to feel really good for me to have a bigger savings account? Or is doing this right now, doing a little bit of each, feeling the most beneficial? So checking in with what feels right. Obviously, I wouldn't recommend changing around much with the money piece. I think it's a great idea to put more money towards retirement as that income comes up. And I mean, she didn't mention here about a raise, but if she's been at this job for four years, Miranda... Maybe go
0: in there and get uh, get that raise. Yeah, go make some more of that money. I'm all for that. Yes, yes. <laughs> A question here from Gabrielle. She um, says that the podcast has really allowed her uh, to take investing seriously. So another question here about investing and Gabrielle reached out on Instagram. God, I love that. I mean, if there's anything that I hope that people will learn from the show is that investing is not rocket science and to get your money to actually work hard for you. You have to, you know, put it in in some sort of an investment and especially women because we definitely suffer from an investment gap. We have the earnings gap and so while we're trying to combat that, I think it's also important to have this other big conversation around investing, like putting our money to work because we're living longer than men. And we will need more money than the men. Um, So really the best way is to invest it over the long run. So thank you, Gabrielle, for bringing this to our attention. All right. So the question is about, again, feeling a little defeated here, Gabrielle, because she has made an attempt to invest in the stock market. It's been about a year and a half, but she's only experienced a simple return of 1.2% on her initial contribution. So like she made 72 bucks, meanwhile invested over $5,000 and she's not really seen the money grow. And she's comparing it to a savings account where she's getting a 2.25% yield and she's wondering, w- what am I doing wrong? I have feel like a failure. She says, Ugh. all right, Gabrielle. Just want to give you some context, okay? The market, the broad market, S and P five hundred in twenty eighteen fell seven percent. Okay, so you lost a little over a percent. Broader market, you know, did much worse. That said, it was also up nineteen percent the year before." So the market's going to be unpredictable. That's just something that you have to accept as a long-term investor. Some years will be great. Some years will be negative. And I think the, the rule number one of investing is you have to be in it for the long run for it to really pay off for you to then feel like this is worth it, that you know this is just part of the journey. Your journey is to arrive at a certain date in the future, retirement or you know, 15 years from now, 20 years from now with more money than you had today. And historically, it is better to put your money in the market than a plain vanilla savings account. Even with all the fluctuations, even when one year or two years or five years are gonna be in the red, just stay the course, Gabrielle. Last year was a bad year relative to the bull run that we've had in the market for like a decade. So naturally, we're gonna have some years that are softer and more negative, but it doesn't mean you're a failure, right, Lindsay? Can you help me out here? You're not a failure.
1: No, no, she is. She is certainly not a failure. And I love your advice of just staying the course. Um, What I'm what I'm like sensing from her question is this this kind of game of whack-a-mole, like trying to get the best interest yield, trying to get the best return on investment. And then you're just kind of setting yourself up to keep chasing the next thing versus Again, kind of pausing and checking in and and just being gentle with herself. She didn't fail anything. She did great putting her money in the market and and keep it going.
0: Yeah. I mean, props to you for even just getting in the market and monitoring your growth. Some people don't even look at how they're doing in the market. And so all this to say you're killing it. Stop um, saying you're a failure. Stay the course. Okay. We're going to be here for you. Check in with us when you want. Chloe on Instagram also has a question. She's 22, recently started a job out of college. It's her first job. She cannot join her company's 401k until she's been there for about a year. And so in the meantime, she's been filling up an emergency fund and she's ready to take on bigger stuff in her financial journey. But she says she's not sure what direction to take. Should she put money in a Roth IRA? should she invest in mutual funds? She's thinking maybe just a brokerage account because then she can have access to those funds before age 59 and a half. Um, Does she do a little bit of both, a Roth IRA and a brokerage account? Well, I think we have some good news for you. Right, Lindsay? And I'll let you share it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: sure. So you can have your cake and eat it too, Chloe. The Roth IRA is going to be the best of both worlds because the money you put in the Roth, except for any interest you've earned, you can actually take out and access it. So it can act as a little bit of an emergency fund
0: or as a savings vehicle so long as you don't touch any of your gains. Right. And this you can access before 59 and a half. It's one of the advantages to a Roth IRA. And so if I were you, Chloe, I would do the Roth IRA because also you're young. And usually when you're younger, you're in a lower tax bracket and better to start the Roth IRA because then you can take that money out in retirement tax-free. It's uh, nothing you can do. You can't deduct the contributions from your taxable income today, but assuming you're not in a very high tax bracket, um, it's okay. Roth IRA is is probably better for you. And then from there, invest in some index funds in the Roth IRA or some ETFs, which are also lower fee. And like we told Gabrielle, you know, just... Stay the course uh, for the duration of, you know, the next decade, 20 years, longer. Uh, that's really the the wise approach to investing. And I love this question because it's given us the opportunity to really share a hybrid approach, you know, where the Roth IRA kind of satisfies both of your needs to be able to save for your future, but also have your money just in case of an emergency, And that's the thing about financial decisions, right? Money is on a zero-sum game. Sometimes it doesn't have to be either or. Um, I'm all about trying to find that hybrid approach. All right. Last question, saving the best for last, is a voicemail... And we haven't had one of these in a while, but I encourage you all to try this little tool device that we have on the So Many Podcast website. It's called SpeakPipe. And how you access it is you just click on Ask Farnoosh. And then from there, you have the option to to either leave a voicemail from your phone or your computer. And this question was left by Amanda, who is a listener with a question about podcasting. So let's play it out and then we'll tackle it.
2: Hi, Farnoosh. My name is Amanda. Uh, Thank you so much for all of the amazing advice that you give. Um, I've been a huge fan for a really long time. I really took to heart your kind of mentality towards earning more income, the whole go ahead, buy your latte, but make more money. So I've kind of just um, taken a page out of your little notebook there and I decided to start my own podcast and I'm so excited. You have definitely been a huge inspiration for it. Um, it's a community-based podcast and it is now my side hustle, my baby. I'm still working nine to five, but in all my spare time, I'm putting my effort and love into this podcast. Um, it's growing a lot, a lot more listeners than I anticipated. I wanted to ask you, what's the sign that I should look out for to know that I'm ready for paid sponsors? Um, any advice you have to give and encouragement for me would be awesome. I am all ears.
0: All right, Amanda, congrats on launching your show. Um, I actually looked it up and it's called Hello San Pedro. And I love it. I love this idea of going into the community and I don't know, just like talking to everybody, your your business owners, um, your community members. I think having a micro lens at a town, at a city is such a brilliant idea for a podcast, brings to life the vibrancy and the you know perhaps some of the tension or whatever's going on. Like it's like it's like local news, but but a much hyper focus on the localness of that area and. I, I feel like there should be more shows like this. So kudos to you for really, um, doing a, a great job of, uh, figuring out your show idea, which is sometimes the hardest part. And so her question is about monetization. And, you know, I teach a podcast program. It's, it's called the So Many Podcast Accelerator. And just this spring, we'll be enrolling people like you who have already started podcasts who want to learn how to monetize, how to market better, how to grow their show. But to you, I would say, Amanda, that, you know, sponsorships are the sort of thing that should be, uh, just a natural progression to your show. It shouldn't be something that you need to stress out about in the beginning. I think what you should really focus on in the beginning is developing a quality show and doing right by your listeners, really engaging with your listeners. What did they like? What did what do they not like? What do they want more of? And really delivering that. That's how you build a loyal, consistent following. And from there, um, it's, you know, you'll look back a year later and you'll just, you'll see the chart that is just growing beautifully. You'll see the audience engagement is going up. I really encourage you to to really check your metrics uh, weekly or monthly and, and set goals in terms of growth and, you know, a good sort of benchmark would probably be, you know, every month to try to grow like a few percentage points. You know, podcasting is a slow burn. It's a marathon. There's no such thing as an overnight success. Well, sometimes, but I think um, in many cases, in most cases, it's the type of thing where you just have to work at it, tweak it constantly it's it's a labor of love, but um, there are some smart ways to position yourself for sponsors. One is obviously to get that engaged audience, and I wouldn't even say it needs to be like super large audience. You know, there are some people out there that would say until you have ten thousand listeners per episode, you're not really in business for sponsorship. I would disagree. I started a, a lot sooner, <laughs> you know, and. I think what really helped me was the quality of the show, the quality of the audience. You know, in terms of their engagement, their ability to listen to a podcast and actually go out and do the things that they learned. Or um, I've actually surveyed my audience, and you may want to do this too, um, is to just see like what who they who are they, what age group are they in t- typically, what uh, education level do they have, what is their biggest issue in their life because often that can inform the kinds of sponsors that you go after. If you have an audience that really cares about family or um, work or or money, then that can often give you a sense of who might be good sponsors for you. It might be a financial services product. It could be a product that caters to families and making their lives easier. So get to know your audience really well. I like to create Infographics too. You can actually go on the So Money website, So Money podcast website, go to um, sponsor the show, and there you can actually see my infographic, I believe. And that can give you a good sense of, you know, who the audience is. And that's the sort of thing that I show sponsors when they're ready to work with me or they're interested in working with me. All right. So good luck to you. Really, again, congrats on. The topic of your show and that you've stuck with it for as long as you have. I hope that it continues to grow and that you in- continue to enjoy doing it. Now, Lindsay, when's your podcast coming to the market?
1: Oh my gosh. Great question. I am actually working more on the YouTube and Instagram side of things. I'm going to get those things figured out and then maybe dip
0: my toe in the podcast waters. I really respect that so much. You know, it's uh important that you don't go after all the shiny objects. There's so many things, right? There's podcasting, there's YouTube, there's social media, there's your blog, your newsletter, and we want to do all of it at the same time. But I think it's more important to just lean into what makes most sense for you in that time in your business. And for me, you know, I did podcasting. It was just a natural progression. Uh, I didn't want to do video because that I just, for me, felt a little bit more Challenging, and I had to put on my makeup, and I was a new mom. I didn't have time for that. <laughs> I had no interest in getting in, you know, hair and makeup. Um, I really respect that. And I really respect you. I think you're fantastic. I think what you're doing is so needed in the world, helping people with their money therapy. Everybody, check out Lindsay's website, mindmoneybalance.com. And last but not least, it's February. Have you made any financial resolutions this year? So I make all my resolutions
1: actually on my Birthday. So that's in September. But I will say that financially speaking, I'm actually working on bulking up my emergency fund. That has been, you know, I've been doing other things, really focusing more on retirement and investing and buying a house as well. And so now I'm shifting
0: gears and, and building up that cushion a little bit more. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining. Hope you have a great weekend, Lindsay, and everybody listening. I hope your weekend is so money.